Notice that the text on which the message I bring you this morning is found. It's in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 30. And we're considering today the theme of the kingdom within. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you there he is or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day of Lot left Sodom, fire and, uh, excuse me, the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And it will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. The theme of the kingdom of God is a prominent one during the Advent season. And this is logical because it is during the Advent season that we recall Jesus coming to earth as the Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior. And we also look forward to his second coming as the King of Kings and Lord of, of Lords. It was prophesied of the Messiah repeatedly in the Old Testament, that Messiah would establish the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God when he came. And the theme, the kingdom of God, was at the very heart of the preaching of both John the baptizer and who set the stage for the ministry of Jesus and then of Jesus himself. Of John we read in Matthew 3, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, is near. And of Jesus, in Mark 1.15, we read, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near, which means at arm's length. Repent then and believe the good news. Jesus himself teaches his disciples to pray, doesn't he? Thy kingdom come. Next week, the conferments are having a test over memory work assigned for the time that we've been studying the the Lord's Prayer. But you know what? I want to mention something to you today. See, I don't want this message to be information alone. I don't want this just to be a, a theological exercise. Because the kingdom of God isn't just theology. The kingdom of God is dynamic. It's alive. And the kingdom of God as it would come to us is meant to change our lives for time and for eternity. 
Martin Luther says the kingdom of God comes indeed of itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come also to us. Any confirmance here? I did pretty well, didn't I? Were you looking? (laughs) The kingdom, as many would have it, is not the true kingdom of God. The Pharisees, perhaps, or for example, in Jesus' day, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Now the Pharisees would have considered, been considered the preeminent theologians of their day in Judaism, And they're to be commended for their biblical awareness of the theme of the kingdom of God. The question they asked of Jesus was, I think, sincere. That wasn't very often the case when they came to Jesus with questions. More often they were trying to trip him up, embarrass him publicly, prove him wrong. But I don't think so here. And Jesus then shared with them that the kingdom of God doesn't come here with your careful observation. It's not based on your doing or on your thinking. The question they asked of Jesus was sincere and and they are to be commended for their sincere interest in the subject and for their desire to see the kingdom of God established. Yet for all of their interest, for all of their sincerity, For all of their study, they truly didn't understand the nature or the operation of the kingdom of God. They didn't understand either its nature or its form. The kingdom that they envisioned, the kingdom that they longed, desired to see established, only vaguely resembled the true biblical kingdom of God. They wanted a Davidic kingdom, which is biblical in and of itself, But their concept of the Davidic kingdom and their reasons for wanting it established were all wrong. They emphasized earthly aspects of that kingdom. They emphasized the political and the material. After all, it was during the reign of David that Israel reached its zenith spiritually, politically, militarily, materially. They wanted it established now by Messiah, but they wanted it established for selfish reasons. Their own glorification, their own greed motivated them. Their desire for power or security. We read in Luke 16:14, for instance, that the Pharisees were lovers of money. They were greedy. They needed it established by Messiah. They understood enough to know that they couldn't establish it by their own doing. The Messiah, when he came, would have to be the one to establish it. And had Jesus been willing to to establish the kind of kingdom that the Pharisees longed for, I can guarantee you that they um, they would have been supportive of him to the death. But the kingdom of God was never meant to be a kingdom like that longed for by the Pharisees and indeed most Israelites of that day. The kingdom of God 
in, in our own day is often misunderstood. Only vaguely scriptural, in reality a distortion of scriptural facts like that of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. I remember when I was in seminary, liberation theology was very, very popular at that time. And Jesus was portrayed as a political rebel, a political uh, freedom fighter, if you will. And, and you know, in our day and, and even in, in this day and age, there are people who would lobby for, for a much more political kingdom, both liberals and conservatives, but for different reasons. You see, some believe that the, the kingdom should be a strong political force. Some believe that morality can and therefore must be legislated. But they're wrong. The kingdom is that many would be willing to settle for this kind of a kingdom. Unfortunately, many even evangelicals would, would they'd be supportive of a legislated morality and, 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 a, and a freedom, politically speaking, to practice re, uh, religion unhindered by a governmental restraint or interference. But so often it's just selfishly motivated, not motivated out of a sense of calling to carry out the Great Commission. Because this is not the kingdom of God. Jesus says in verse 20 of our text that the kingdom of God does not come visibly with your careful observation. The Davidic kingdom from God's point of view is this, that David was chosen to model the kingdom of God, not because of his abilities as a warrior or a military leader, not because he was popular, not because he was a good administrator, but because his heart was right with God. That's at the nature of the Davidic kingdom. The bravery he exhibited, the humility he exercised, which drew others to him, his just rule and Israel's subsequent prosperity was due to one fact alone, and that is that his heart was right with God. He was indeed a man after God's own heart. You see, the emphasis on the kingdom of God as modeled in the true Davidic kingdom was spiritual. Kingdom is not political, it's not material, it is spiritual. It's not found in outward forms, but it's found in the heart of men. Jesus' rule is not over some political or ecclesiastical jurisdiction. It's found in the hearts of men, where by love and grace, he rules in their hearts. In those who have embraced him as their only savior from sin, death, and Satan. And that's why the kingdom of God has to be a dynamic kingdom. That's why the kingdom of God needs to come to us even in our day. It needs to come to us as Jesus comes to us. Would give us new life. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's personal. It's dynamic. It's living. It's growing. 
It's life-changing. The kingdom of God is a present kingdom then, and we pray that it might come to us. We pray that Jesus would come to us, that he would forgive us our sins and give us the Holy Spirit because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. In its present form, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of grace. And interestingly, it's a kingdom that was established out of apparent defeat. Jesus was born in the humblest of circumstances. His family was not wealthy. He lived his public ministry in poverty. Jesus once said, the foxes have holes, the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We should ponder that one for a while. Just think about that. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He came to his own, but his own rejected him. Jesus was convicted as a common criminal. He was crucified in shame on a Roman cross, all to the jeering of his own people. And he died, and yet death could not keep him. He rose on Easter Sunday, thus proving his victory. The basis for the kingdom of God was thus firmly established, and the kingdom of God cannot be defeated. It's a kingdom ruled by Christ himself in the hearts of his subjects who submit not from force, but because of love. His love for them and our love for him. Entrance into it is by repentance and faith alone, both of which God works into our hearts through the means of grace, the word, the law and gospel, and the sacraments as we've witnessed even this morning. The advent he desires in our day is into our hearts as our personal Savior and Lord. And it is for this advent that we pray first of all as we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come to me. Come to my heart, Lord Jesus. Live in me. But the kingdom is not in its final form. The kingdom will change and it will change dramatically. Jesus who first came in in humility will come again in glory. And the kingdom will also be changed finally, ultimately, eternally. Because the kingdom of grace will become a kingdom of glory when Jesus comes again. And he makes certain reference to our or to his second coming in our text. It will be ushered in by means of judgment. The Christ who many judge now as unworthy of their time or loyalty will come to earth again as a judge of every person who ever lived. That means you. That means me. Judgment for or against us will be be determined by how we individually have responded to him during this present age. For some, it'll be a grand day. When Jesus comes again, it will be truly a day of glory. What would it be like to witness that day? 
and participate in it. Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. And yet for others, it'll be a day of terror, a day of final, terrible, eternal separation. It'll mark the beginning of an eternity of punishment for those who ignored or rejected the Savior during their lifetimes. And Jesus, as I said, makes reference to signs that he would indicate or that would indicate his, his return. And signs are meant to warn or to prepare us for that great day of the Lord. Jesus himself said, just as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. The day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. You know, the people of Noah's generation had 120 years to prepare for that coming. During that time, Noah preached to them both by word and by deed. And you know what? I'm convinced of this, that the people in Noah's day and Lot's day weren't necessarily grossly evil. They weren't foaming at the mouth crazy in their opposition to God. I think most of them were just busy with their lives, basically respectable people, but lost because they ignored Jesus. They ignored the truth. And it'll be that day when he comes again. People will just be busy with their lives. It's easy to get busy, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. But to just be busy and not be about that which matters most is a, is, a, is a terrible, tragic failure. I see startling similarities in our day with the generations of both Noah and Lot. I believe that this is a sign from God to us. It's a warning or a warning meant to wake us up and get us prepared for that day when Jesus will soon come as the judge of the living and the dead. Are you ready today? Are you? Some of you I'm getting to know. But a lot of you I don't know well at all. I can only ask the question and pray that the Spirit of God might speak to your hearts and do the work that only He can do. Those who are marked by the effect of God's grace in their lives, have a, have a wonderful future indeed. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, we read, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness 
and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager or zealous to do his will, to do what is good. To have a desire to live holy lives for his sake, for his glory. And to to have that desire to be that generation in which Jesus would come. What a day that would be. Luther teaches us that when we pray thy kingdom of God, we pray essentially for two things. First of all, we pray that it would come and grow within each of us personally, thus preparing us for the day when the kingdom of grace will become a kingdom of glory. And secondly, that the kingdom of God would ultimately be ushered in in its final eternal form. My prayer for each of us this Advent season is that each of us will either become prepared or become more fully prepared for that final advent of Jesus, that great day of the Lord, that we might be looking forward to it with eager anticipation, living holy lives as we await its arrival and praying regularly as the saints through the ages have done. done. Quick come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word to us again today. Thank you for the kingdom of God. Thank you that you bring that kingdom, that you come to us, that you might enable us to become its subjects, subjects of the risen Lord, of the soon returning King, that we might live our lives in humble obedience to you and seek more than anything else your honor and your glory. May that be true for each of us. Thy kingdom come. Amen.